Welcome to the Adams Road podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter in the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 39. Having therefore, brothers, boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the way which he dedicated for us, a new and living way through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a great priest over God's house, let's draw near with a true heart and fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and having our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking our assembling together, as the custom of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of fire, which will devour the adversaries. A man who disregards Moses' law dies without compassion on the word of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think he will be judged worthy of who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord, I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days, in which after you were enlightened, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly being exposed to both reproaches and oppressions, and partly becoming partakers with those who were treated so. For you both had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an enduring one in the heavens. Therefore, don't throw away your boldness, which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that, having done the will of God, you may receive the promise. In a very little while, he who comes will come and will not wait. But the righteous will live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the saving of the soul. Last week we explored the first 18 verses of Hebrews chapter 10, and this week we'll finish out the chapter. Let's start by rereading verses 19 through 22. Having therefore, brothers, boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the way which he dedicated for us, a new and living way, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a great priest over God's house, let's draw near with a true heart and fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and having our body washed with pure water. All right, so we see here in light of the fact that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, by his blood, we have boldness, or we can have confidence to enter into the holy place. 
I would say um, boldness and confidence was something that was maybe lacking in regards to entering into the holy place made with hands in the Old Covenant. You see, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered the most holy place in the sanctuary with fear and trembling. He didn't know if he'd come out alive, whether his attempt at propitiation would temporarily hold back God's wrath against the sins of the people. But unlike Israel, who worshiped from afar through an earthly mediator with trepidation, we can enter God's holy place with boldness and assurance by means of our heavenly high priest, Jesus. That means we have eternal life by the blood of Jesus. We can go to heaven because of the blood of Jesus. We can be in God's presence through the blood of Jesus. We can have a relationship with God by the blood of Jesus. We can find mercy and grace to help in time of need through Christ. His blood purifies our conscience, removes our guilt and shame, and cleanses our hearts through faith. Now this section here in Hebrews tells us that this way was opened for us through the veil. Now the veil, it separated the most holy place from the holy place in the sanctuary. The high priest couldn't enter into the most holy place without first passing through the veil. Now this veil is representative of man's separation from God's presence because of our sin. However, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom, representing that Jesus' torn body by means of his death on the cross for our sins had opened the way for man to have free access to God through faith in Christ. And Matthew 27, 51 says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Jesus stands as our great mediating high priest under the new covenant. Because of this, we can draw near to God. Romans 5, 2 says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now Hebrews 10.22 says, Since that's the case, since we can enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, starting in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the physical rituals practiced in the Old Law pictured a spiritual reality found in the New Covenant. Here, the writer makes a connection between the two, using language which references the Old Covenant rituals in order to teach a New Covenant application of what they truly illustrated. For example, when it says, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, here are some connections we can maybe make. Under the Law, nearly everything was cleansed with blood, if you'll recall, this is what we learned last week in Hebrews 9, starting in verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So again, that's from Hebrews chapter 9. But also, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies with the blood of bulls and goats and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Thirdly, we also learned back in Hebrews 9 verse 13 that under the law, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer were used for sprinkling of those who had been defiled for the purification of the flesh. Hebrews 9.14 states, however, that it is the blood of Christ that actually purifies our conscience. 1 Peter 1.2 says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Hebrews 12.24 also refers to this sprinkling of Christ's blood. It says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So my point is this. Here in Hebrews 10.22, when it says, Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, I think we see a reference to this idea of the sprinkling with Christ's blood, an internal and spiritual application upon the believer which cleanses the heart and the conscience. Again, the physical rituals practiced in the old law pictured a spiritual reality found in the new covenant. In Hebrews 10.22, I think the phrase, bodies washed with pure water, like the phrase, hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, is using language which references the old covenant rituals in order to teach a new covenant application of what they truly illustrated. For example, Hebrews 9, verses 9 through 10, when it says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Guys, the priestly code specified that individuals were washed before they could become members of the Jewish priesthood. It also required Levites to be cleansed before they could assume their work. So what is the washing we receive as Christians, which these old covenant rituals pictured? Ephesians 5.25-26 says, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The word of God cleanses us. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And Jesus said in John 6, verse 63 about his word, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. We see a connection here between God's word and his spirit. And we also see in John 7, Jesus inviting us to drink from the water that he offers. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And finally, we read from Romans 8.11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So here's the point. External cleansing under the law involved the sprinkling of the blood of animals and bathing in physical water. But now spiritual, internal cleansing under the new covenant involves the application upon the soul of the blood of Jesus, 
His Word and His Spirit. In other words, come to Jesus and be cleansed. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Guys, we can draw near to the throne of grace because of the completed work of Jesus on the cross for our salvation. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. There is always free access to God through Christ. Do you need to draw near to Jesus? Experience His presence? Bask in the joy and peace of being in a relationship with Him? The cool thing is, guys, we don't have to be in a sanctuary made by hands to draw near to God. We can do so anytime and anywhere. One of my favorite times to connect with God is when I'm driving long distances. I love to open up to Him and share my challenges, fears, and hopes. There's something amazingly therapeutic and life-giving about just fixing our thoughts on Him and entering into His presence with joy and thanksgiving. Jesus is always with us, and He will never leave us nor forsake us. I know for me, sometimes the busyness and stress of life gets in the way of just enjoying our Savior and being able to acknowledge and recognize His presence and hand in our lives. There's something so restorative about simply setting aside time to open our hearts to Him and be in fellowship with Him. All right, moving on. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. There's no need to second-guess Jesus. He is faithful and His promises are true. Verses 24 to 25 says, Let's consider how to provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together, as the custom of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Christians are called to be in community. God has so arranged His body, the church, so that we need each other. We all have different functions, giftings, and callings. There is strength, power, and effectiveness in Christian community with unity. We ourselves all need encouragement and are also equipped and called to edify and serve others. Our motivation for gathering in Christian community, among other reasons, should be to corporately worship God, to learn from God's Word, to fellowship with one another in the Holy Spirit, and to serve the people around us. Instead of always looking inward when going to church and saying, what's in it for me today? Maybe we should think, how can I be used by God to bless others today at church? Often I wonder if some have a habit to church hop and church shop, frequently bouncing around from church to church, community to community, always looking for something better. Maybe some can be turned off by a particular worship style or the preaching, or on the other end, maybe the coffee and donuts in the church lobby is the big draw. Perhaps sometimes we leave Christian community or join others for superficial reasons. Are we getting plugged in? Are we connecting with people and utilizing the spiritual gifts given by God to serve and to build up His people? And it goes on to say here, so much the more as you see the day approaching. These are certainly interesting times. A recent pandemic, a war, rumors and possibilities for more war, should this not motivate us all the more to be in fellowship with the believers? Moving on, Hebrews 10, 26-31. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more a sacrifice for sins, 
but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of fire which will devour the adversaries. A person who disregards Moses' law dies without compassion on the word of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think he will be judged worthy of who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay, so in the section it says, if we sin willfully. Now, what does that mean? Don't most sins come from a willful action? Does this mean Christians who sin risk no longer being saved? Of course, sin isn't good and Christians should not willfully sin. I think in context, it appears the writer is speaking of a certain type of willful sin. He speaks of someone who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing and has insulted the Spirit of grace. In other words, this willful sinning is an informed, intentional rejection of Jesus' finished work for us on the cross. This was addressing the first century Hebrew Christians who were perhaps discouraged in their difficult and persecuted Christian walk up to this point and who were perhaps tempted to turn their backs on Jesus for the familiarity and the ease of the old ways of Judaism. This was a stern warning for them to hold on to Jesus unashamedly. You see, if they were to reject Jesus' sacrifice and try to go back to the old Mosaic system of animal sacrifices, those would not suffice. There remains no other sacrifice able to cleanse. It's Jesus or nothing. It's the cross or judgment. Verses 32 to 34 say, But remember the former days in which after you were enlightened, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly being exposed to both reproaches and oppressions, and partly becoming partakers with those who were treated so. For you both had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an enduring one in the heavens. The writer to the Hebrews is encouraging them to remember how they've endured up to this point. They were able to endure by the Spirit of God and the strength of Christ. They were able to endure because they had proper perspective. This world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. They had a better possession awaiting them in heaven. How easy it can be to forget that in our own lives, Jesus is enough. Regardless of what we endure or give up in this life, we have something so much greater in Jesus. How might keeping that perspective in mind shape the decisions we make today and the things into which we invest our time and resources? Do we take the cushy job promotion if it detracts from our ability to serve in our local church family? Do we buy the expensive new car? Or rather donate an extra amount to some needy children? Do we pursue that new career? or adopt that child. The temptation for us might be to fall back into the ways of the world that we knew before we were in Christ. The writer to the Hebrews here is exhorting us to stay on track, continue in the call we have in Christ to take up our crosses daily for the sake of the gospel, knowing that a great reward awaits us in heaven. And finally here, Hebrews 10 verses 35 to 39 says, Therefore, don't throw away your boldness, which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that, having done the will of God, 
you may receive the promise. In a very little while, he who comes will come and will not wait. But the righteous will live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the saving of the soul. Guys, Jesus is coming back. He's going to return for his people. He's prepared a place for us in his heavenly kingdom. And when he returns, we who believe will not shrink back in fear to destruction. We find life in our great God and Savior Jesus, who is our salvation. Here I am, a criminal, hanging right beside Jesus, hearing all the railing and disbelief that He is the Christ. I know that this condemnation is the due reward for all I've done. But this man, Jesus, is innocent. He's done no one wrong. So I turn to Jesus and ask Him a simple question from my heart. Lord, remember me when you come in.
That was I'll Tell You Right Now from the Adams Road album, Enemy of the Cross. This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at adamsroadministry.com. Again, that's adamsroadministry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Feel free to join us next week as we examine Hebrews chapter 11. Grace and peace be with you all.